having um, studied and got a BA at the University of St. Thomas, and then gone on to Rome where Father received another BA, and then beyond that, uh, obtained his second theology license at the Gregorian Pontifical University. We're just um, totally grateful to Father for the scheduling keeps that he'd give us a day. And so I'd like you to welcome him, please. Thanks, Sister, for that kind introduction, and you're welcome. Is this portable mic picking me up? Is it okay? Can you hear me if I step away like this? Okay. All right. So I'll have to stay right here. We'll do that. Either one's fine here. So we'll do this. All right. The title of the day is, Where Do We Go From Here? That was given to me. (laughs) So I'll receive it. That's a theme you'll hear throughout, receive. Part of my work just mentioned is human formation, but that isn't just about making sure guys get up on time and they don't have any facial hair experiments or say weird things and smell. Got to make sure the priests don't have that going on. But what really is so important about the formation of the men in the seminary is that they have a spiritual life. And that training in the spiritual life is essential because it's meant to be shared with you. And so this whole three-year experience is meant to hone your spiritual life so that you're equipped to make disciples, which was Jesus' command. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything. So make disciples, baptize, and teach. How many of you had instruction on making a disciple? Is there a course on that? The way we make disciples is by being discipled ourselves by Jesus Himself. That's the main question I'm asking every day at the seminary. Jesus, how are you discipling this man? I want to cooperate with that. So where do we go from here? We go deeper into our discipleship with Jesus so that we can be sent from that discipleship to make disciples. That can be as simple as our children. Make them disciples. The first and primary place of our apostolate. Or it can be some assignment that we're given and we receive. But wherever we go, we want to stay with Jesus. That's the main focus of this day. If you summarize the Gospel of John, you can summarize it in one word. Abide. Abide, remain, stay, be with, watch, but abide. They're all being with me. Just be with me. Not do with me. Be with me. I think a lot of my life in ministry is finding out what nothing looks like. Without me, you can do nothing. 
There's a big difference between when I do something with Jesus and abide with Jesus and try to do something without Jesus. Learning that difference makes all the difference in the world. What's it like to do something with Jesus versus without Him? In the summertime, i got to find work. Seminary is a school year. We see these men for like seven months. Right now we're in the, the thick of evaluations. So a hundred guys, ten page evaluations, half hour interviews, every night, evaluate. It's a good time. <laughs> it's a very fruitful time. But once the school year is over, I've got to find something to do. So what I do is I go back to Omaha and I work at the Institute for Priestly Formation. Just to give you some background, this is where I'm from. I, ha- I wore, you, you ever see one of those shirts that have home on it? And it just has the shape of your state. I was at the block in Webster Groves and the Father Mason dared me, see if that waitress knows where your home is. And she said, is that Oklahoma? <laughs> oh, dread. Hate the Sooners. So I'm a Cornhusker, and uh, that's the county where I grew up, Cedar County which is very near the um, border of South Dakota, obviously. So it's a sportsman's paradise right along the river. So I could float right down the Missouri, get here to St. Louis. Obviously, I'm a far, long ways away from Omaha. Living there is 167 miles from Omaha. But this is a, a, a beautiful place with a big lake, Chalk Rock Bluffs, and we have the giant dam, Gavin's Point Dam. So if it floods here, it's because we let the water go. <laughs> Sorry about that. 1993, remember? Okay, bad memories. That was our fault, sorry. The confluence, the flooding, that's us. That's about five miles from my home, which is a place called Menominee, Nebraska. My favorite thing about the sign that says Menominee, two miles off the highway, is right underneath the sign, it's a green sign. There's a blue sign that says no services, which means uh, technically there's no gas station, there's there's just no services. I like it because there's a Catholic church there and we don't have services. We have Mass. (laughs) We have the Divine Liturgy. We have the Holy Sacrifice. Sometimes it gets me when someone after Mass says, hey, nice service, Father. That wasn't a service. You entered into the Heavenly Liturgy. No services. So where I grew up, very heavily Catholic, about eight or nine churches in a 20-mile area. Um, That's where I'll be buried someday. And that's about a mile from my house. So I grew up in the shadow of our Catholic church there. Down the road, you'll find other churches equally beautiful. That church is about seven miles away, St. Helena. Another church in Bull Valley. Great Gothic cathedrals in the county of Cedar County. And this is the Catholicism I grew up with. Long way away from St. Louis. So you have grand places here, but so do we in the country. I think of St. Genevieve and Paraville. That might be more my mix. Or Old Monroe. You have to have some psychological geography here in St. Louis. That's, that's where I'm from. All right? I say all that by prefacing this work I do, which is to proclaim the Gospel as a priest to all people and to share that good news that lifts people up These are two focused missionaries. One's a priest now and one's consecrated. 
that they were on my farm. I'd take the focus missionaries to the farm for four days and give them experience of what it is to be in contact with nature. Nature is a very important way to reorient and, of course, give drives in the loader tractor. But that's kind of an image of what I do as a priest. I lift people to see what God is up to. And I want all of you to share in that as a priest, in your own priestly baptism, to lift up people to see the good news, to hear the good news. In order to do that, we have to take time for prayer. And so I'm going to stress today prayer and paying attention. And we're going to pray the way we pray at the Institute for Priestly Formation. So every summer I go to the Institute in Omaha, and that's where I find work for about five weeks. 175 seminarians come to Omaha from all across the country, St. Louis included. And we have an eight-day retreat, silent. It might be the largest eight-day retreat in the world. There's 57 spiritual directors for 175 guys. It's an amazing operation. And we gather every evening to pray in this way. We pray with something called the Akathis Hymn. The Akathis Hymn is a hymn written by the Eastern Church. We'll pray it together. I don't know if you can see the wording back there. And just to say this, anything I show up here, you're going to get... You don't need to know all the words. You don't need to have all the slides. It's going to be in you through your prayer. But if I show something, can you see that print back there? Oh, you guys, yeah, sure you can. You guys, close-up monitors. All right, you'll be able to pray. Fantastic. So we're going to pray the Akathis hymn, which is a, um, it starts with this beautiful lexio we call the breath of the gospel. And the breath of the gospel leads into a reply, song of my soul, and then a deeper reply, sighs of my heart. And the sighs of my heart lead to the praise of the name of Jesus. Just to say his name is healing. Just to say the name of Jesus is medicine. And so you imagine 175 seminarians gathered in a room praying with the name of Jesus on eight days of silence. How powerful that is. And I just want to share that experience with you. It's meant to be prayed on one's own. But I think this opportunity affords us a chance just to taste how good it is to pray with the name of Jesus. So that's how you spell it, a cathist. You can find it online. It was, uh, like I said, written by the Eastern Church in the 4th century and then brought together again by this bishop in Lebanon who started praying with it and offering it to people. And then it came to Canada. Lots of interesting things come through Canada. And by way of Canada, it's at Broomtree where I work and give the exercises, 30-day exercises. And the Akathis Hymn is something I use in spiritual direction all the time. Just to pay attention to what stirs up when we listen. When we listen to the gospel and the song of my soul and the sighs of my heart in response to the gospel. So if you want, let's pronounce out loud these words of the gospel. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. 
and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said, and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you are found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Glorious Jesus, Oh, how glorious you are. Let me live in this world, O Jesus, with my eyes and my heart in heaven. For the wish no one would have dared to wish has been granted. The undreamed has happened. And you, O my God, have become man, so that I may sing to you, Hallelujah. O Jesus, you, the infinite God, became a baby in the womb of a chaste and loving girl. And chaste and loving, she remained forever. You ascended into heaven, and you seated me at the right hand of the Father. In amazement, before all these miracles, I sing to you, Jesus, invincible mercy. Jesus, infinite compassion. Jesus, ever beside me. Jesus, splendid beauty. Jesus, boundless love. Jesus, constant truth. Jesus, teach me about you. Jesus, light up my darkness. Jesus, lead me to wisdom. Jesus, cleanse me of my faults. Jesus, restore my innocence. Jesus, enfold me with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Give me your repose. Jesus, give me your peace. Jesus, give me your light. Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just take a moment and notice what stayed with you what stirred with you. Maybe write down that word or that phrase. And then here's the question. Jesus, why is this staying with me? Ask Jesus. Just ask Jesus in your heart. Why is this stirring me right now?
Whatever that point was, you want to come back to that. Whatever that point was, you want to stay with that. We'll have time to pray. I've given you a a handout, and on the cover of that handout is an image, a sculpture, a bronze one, of Jesus crucified. The title is, You're Not Thinking As God Does. It's what Jesus said to Peter when Peter said, Stay away from the cross. Don't go there. Jesus always goes there. Or we don't want to go or we're afraid to go. He goes before us. So I want to be thinking as God does. And God always thinks in love. And it's revealed in the cross. What held Jesus to the cross wasn't the nails, as Catherine of Siena would say. It was love held him there. Love. The work of seminary formation is to hold a man to receive love. To keep him open to love. That's been the work of your formation. To stay receptive to love. If you notice that sculpture on the cover, there's something very interesting happening with the face of Jesus. Do you see it? He's smiling. Because at that moment on the cross where humanity is the furthest away it seems from love. Shamed. Punished. Killed. Ridiculed. Mocked. In absolute anguish. Jesus gives a voice to our voice in this life. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? And yet He is with His Father. The furthest away a human could possibly be from God is on that cross, and yet he is with his dad. What's the father going to do with such a son? What's the father going to do with so much trust? What's the father going to do with that son who trusts in him and doesn't move a muscle without him? What's the father going to do with him? Raise him. Raise him on the last day. And raise us. Friends, one of the most difficult things in the world in the spiritual life is simply to receive love. We'd rather earn it in some way. Prove it in some way. Manage it in some way. But it's an endless, infinite compassion. That's where I landed. Infinite compassion. Do I believe this? Am I an expert in receiving love? Jesus will lead us in that discipleship. He will lead us in that expertise. That's what He was doing with Peter, James, and John. He wants them to think as He does. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. My Father is there. He's smiling because He's with His Dad. And He's accomplishing His mission because He's with His Dad. And the enemy has no idea 
how victorious this is. It's an absolute victory. The enemy couldn't see it because he's too proud. And Jesus is too humble. Jesus always finds a way to reach us with love. He's the one working really hard to reach us with love. Do I believe that? That God works really hard to reach me and love me ever since the moment of our baptism. I was asked this in spiritual direction one time. It always happens in spiritual direction. I get this question. Hey, what's God been doing since your baptism? And I gave some kind of theological license in the theology answer. Sanctifying me. Healing me. My scripture said, yeah, that's true. Ever since the moment of your baptism, he's been laboring to love you. Because that's what love does. Love works really hard. God works really hard. And it was in that spiritual direction as well. I was complaining about all these things I'm doing. And I was sort of trying to do this with these students. And trying to do that with vocations work. And trying to manage this at the parish. And trying. And he just kind of stopped me after ten minutes of that. And he said, you know what you said about ten times? Trying. You might want to consider what you want on your headstone. This is my mother's headstone in Menominee, Nebraska. How would it look if your headstone said this? Father Paul Hazing, he tried really hard. It's good that you laugh because seminarians sometimes don't. I think, what's wrong with that? Sounds like a good plan. It's not. But it tends to be our plan. I'm going to keep trying really hard. And that's the tendency with men. Pope Francis called it a, a neo-Pelagianism, a Promethean neo-Pelagians. Prometheus is going to start up on his own, do without. And Jesus is very clear. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Do I believe this? What I tend to do in my spiritual life is I'll tend to have something going on that I don't like. Something going on that I don't prefer. Something that's, not, something that's problematic. And I'll try to figure it out. And I'll try to fix it. Whatever it is. Be it my circumstances or in my interiority. What's, ah, I'm going to figure this out. Maybe if I read this book, I'll figure it out. I love at Broomtree, they have a bookstore. And you can always tell when somebody's running into some hard things in silence. They'll go to the bookstore and browse. They'll go to the bookstore and try to distract themselves. And maybe they'll even buy a few books and take it back to their room and start reading those books instead of staying in the silence of the silent retreat because it's too hard to face it. Distract me from this. We call it, instead of the bookstore, as spiritual directors call it, the Emporium of Desolation. It's where people go when they're desolate. Where do I go when I'm desolate? Do I try to ignore it or soothe it? Where do I go when I sense, where's God? What do I do with my desolation? Do I turn inward and try to figure it out and fix it? And what ends up happening is it doesn't get fixed. And so then I recriminate. Gosh, 
This again? Whatever this is, doesn't get fixed and I get upset at myself and I do like Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve do? After they sinned, after they failed, they made fig leaves. That's instructive, right? Anybody know anything about fig leaves? Fig leaves are tiny. They're not very big. Growing up on a farm, I would have chosen elephant ear, milkweed, uh, an oak leaf. An oak would be better. Uh, maple, definitely. Fig leaves are small, and they're covered with spikes. Yeah, what a choice. In all the garden, you chose fig leaves? Really? Why, why is that instructive? They shame themselves. They punish themselves. They beat themselves up. And not only beat themselves up, they beat up the most tender parts of themselves, which are meant for communion. Jesus is going to propose another way, a still more excellent way. Instead of trying to figure things out and fixing them, how about asking Jesus to reveal what he wants? Reveal here. And then heal and transform what's happening in my life. Ask Jesus to heal, to reveal, to heal and transform whatever's happening. And stay with what he is doing. Can I pay attention to what he's doing? He does this through unconditional love. The tendency with God is often to approach him like a broken vending machine. Try to get what I need. And if God doesn't give it, well, what's wrong with me and what's wrong with God? And there's the alienation. I've been forsaken. But God is not a broken vending machine. All of our training here, all of our work in the spiritual life is to stay in this intimate and unceasing communion. Not formation for understanding. Your formation isn't just to understand things, although that's helpful. Your formation is not simply to make you consoled and feel better, although that's wonderful that you made the sacrifice to be here on a Saturday morning. Your formation is not just to give you insight more than other people, like you have some Gnostic sort of uh, advantage over others. Your formation is not just to give you enlightenment or relief or more patience than others or just to be helpful. No, your formation, your discipleship, And my discipleship is for an intimate and unceasing communion. The image I like to use is to stay in the chair. If I'm sitting in the chair, intimate and unceasing communion, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, stay in the chair. Stay. That's what our formation is for. That's what our discipleship is for. But I tend, as an American, and I'm a consumer, I tend to look for stuff from God. Give me some stuff. This is why the Mass is kind of annoying. I go to God asking for patience. I go to God asking for forgiveness. I go to God... By the way, in the Gospels, this little tidbit, no one ever asked Jesus for forgiveness. No one ever asked Him for forgiveness. He always gave it. Always offered it. Always volunteered it. But no one ever asked Him. I tend to go to Mass asking for things, and what does Jesus respond with? This is my body. Well, I'd like some strength and insight, and I'd like some help here. This is my blood. Ah, yeah, okay, great. I would really like to have this taken care of in my life 
And if you could store it out, this is my body. Wonderful. Good. So I really need to have... hmm, Just missing it. If we want all of those things, they come through communion. Staying in love. Abiding in love. If I'm a consumer with God, this is how I'm going to feel with the broken vending machine. And that's okay. God can take it. But that's the idol. He has eyes but does not see. He has ears but he does not hear. He has nostrils but does not smell. Those are idols. In our spiritual life, if we're paying attention, those idols will get smashed. That's not working. That's not working. God, where are you? God, how are you working? The clue is love. I just want you to hear this uh, out loud. This is Lumen Fide. You can look it up. Lumen Fide is the first encyclical letter of our Pope, Pope Francis. It was really written by Pope Benedict, probably, most likely. Right? Because Benedict wrote three encyclicals. The first two, he wrote one about love, and then he wrote one about hope. And you're like, when's faith coming out? He retired. (laughs) Faith came out a few months later. Under Pope Francis' name, but you kind of knew it was... It was a cooperative effort. Francis gets to put his name on it. Listen to this fabulous quote. Our culture has lost its sense of God's tangible presence and activity in our world. We think that God is to be found in the beyond, on another level of reality, far removed from everyday relationships. But if this were the case, if God could not act in the world, His love would not be truly powerful, truly real, and thus not even true. A love capable of delivering the bliss that it promises. It would make no difference at all whether we believed in Him or not. Christians, on the contrary, profess their faith in God's tangible and powerful love which really does act in history and determine its final destiny. Love is the greatest power in the world. God is present. Do I believe this? I'm giving you a manifesto. Do I believe that? You can write your own today. Where do we go from here? We want to give a witness to love. The love revealed in the very face of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Can I hope to turn to Him when I'm desolate? So instead of trying to figure out and fix things and asking, what do I need to do? The question is, to whom do I turn? That's the question. To whom do I turn? Well, when this happens, this is what I need to do. Hmm. Who are you turning to? People ask, how do you pray? How do you do this? How questions aren't as important as who questions. Who am I with? Who do I turn to? When I do that, when I turn to Him, I'm I'm denying that reflexive ego that says, I'll take care of it. Oh, I'll manage it. We become experts at that in our lives. And St. Paul knew this wasn't this is a futile way of life, which is why if you read St. Paul's Romans chapter 7, he uses the I or the me about 29 times in that chapter. And then in chapter 8 with the Holy Spirit, he uses it once. It's crying out, "Abba, Father, we 
We have a spirit of adoption in which we cry out, Abba, Father, that faithful denial of my ego. Wherever the ego is, there's fear. Wherever the ego is, there's fear. Deny the self that would manage without God. Deny the self that doesn't believe in God's power. Deny the self that doesn't believe that love is active. It's not that he quashes ourselves. He purifies ourselves of that ego. He doesn't want to quash you. Which is why the saints are so amazing. They're so different. And dictators and sinners are so boring. They're so much the same. The ego is so banal. To live in intimate and unceasing union. That's the training. That's the discipleship. This morning's lesson can be summarized with three letters, and I've included them in your pamphlet as well. If you open the inside cover, the three letters are R-I-M. Where do I get this? R-I-M. Remain in me. That's where I get it. Remain in me. This is a kind of prayer slash prose from a Jesuit that I always go back to and I know you've heard it before. It's worth having somewhere on your nightstand or on your mirror. Nothing is more practical than finding God, than falling in love in a quite absolute and final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what gets you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love. Stay in love. And it will decide everything. Fall in love. Stay in love. It will decide everything. When I was in Rome as a student, my first four months, a woman I had met in college, while I was in college seminary, was writing to me every other week. Had we had coffee a couple times? Yes. Did we date? No. I was in college seminary. Was there attraction? Absolutely. But I was in Rome and she was writing and I told this to my spiritual director and he said, are you writing back? I said, no. It wouldn't be a good idea. I know that's not what I need. and It's not really what I want. And he just kind of looked at me. You could see I was in kind of in anguish there. And he said, Paul, have you ever fallen in love? And I was like, oh, Yeah. <laughs> How is that for you? Well, it kind of hurts. Good. Good. Then you'll know what it is to choose Jesus. Because when you choose Jesus, nothing is lost. No relationship, no love is ever lost. It's never God or the girl. It's always everything in Him. Fast forward 14 years later, I just had finished the exercises, the spiritual exercises. This is 2010. And this woman looked me up. She said, I'm going to be in Omaha. And would you like to get together? I said, sure. Now, by this time, she's married and she has two young boys. She's also a Lutheran. One of those Minnesota Lutherans, Minnesota nice Lutherans, really fantastic. Anyway, we're out to uh, a lunch and she looks at me across the table and she says, You know what? I know why you're celibate. I understand now. 
Well, tell me why. I'd like to hear it from you. She said, I'm married and I have a husband and two young boys and I would do anything for them. I would lay down my life for them. And that's what you've done. And that's why I loved you. Because I knew you were doing that for me. And I received that love in my marriage. My husband would do the same for me. I understand why you're celibate. You're laying down your life. And I love that about you. God, fantastic. She gets it. Do I appreciate and love her? Absolutely. But there's a freedom in there. Why? Because it's in Jesus. Jesus purifies love. Jesus raises love. Jesus makes love infinite. Our ego makes it limited. The celibate, me as a celibate, I'm standing here as a celibate saying, I will not leave. That's what my celibacy says. I will not go away. I'm here for you. That's the meaning of the celibacy. To lay down one's life for one's friends. Fall in love. Stay in love. It will decide everything. This is relationship, identity, and mission. Friends, if there's anything you want to be equipped with going out of here, it's that order. It's that understanding. Fall in love. Stay in love. Fall in love is about intimacy. Stay in love. It's abiding. And when I stay in love, I learn who I am. I only know who I am when I'm in love. That exchange with that woman was a, an exchange in love and to know myself as a celibate. I'm a celibate man. I, I know my identity in love. Relationship, identity, and then my mission. It will decide everything. I make decisions according to who I am. I make decisions according to my identity. I don't understand who I am by what I do. And that tends to be the American way, right? Hey, how are you? What's your name? My name's Paul. What do you do? That's not my identity. I'm Paul, son of Duane, brother to Matthew and Jonathan, espoused to the church as a celibate. My relationships give me my identity. My abiding gives me my identity, not my work. Because if my work gives my identity and I'm doing badly at work, then I'm bad. If what I do gives me my identity, I will identify with my failures. Huh, I failed. I'm a failure. I did well. I'm a success. I did mediocre. I'm mediocre. If our doing defines our identity, we're going to get discouraged and disillusioned very quickly. My relationship defines my identity. Jesus defines my identity. Fall in love, stay in love. It will define everything. It will decide everything. That freedom and the mission. I tell you, if as a priest, it was always the best when someone was not afraid to fail. Why? Because they had a prayer life. It was always the best when someone wasn't afraid to try something 
even though it was a little scary, because they had a relationship with Jesus. I knew that. And they could tell me about their relationship in concrete terms. Relationship leads to identity. Identity leads to mission. Intimacy allows for clarity, and clarity allows for freedom. I work with guys who are discerning their vocation, and they're like, I don't know if I'm called. And well, I say, what's, what's your relationship with God like? Well, it's kind of it's difficult, it's mysterious. If I don't have a relationship, I can't make decisions. A relationship gives me clarity. The intimacy gives me clarity. If I know I'm loved, there's clarity there. If I'm staying in contact with that love, there's clarity. You might get asked this on the plane. Can you answer it? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? That's our question. It's not the fundamentalist question. It's not the evangelical question. That's our question. They stole it. We should be able to ask that question. This is the reform of the seminary that's happening right now. We have our rector sitting at a table in January after retreats and the dean of seminarians asks the men, how was your retreat? And they share what Jesus did for them on their retreat. And then the dean of seminarians, Dr. Hogan, turns to Father Mason and says, how was your retreat? And he shares the grace of his retreat. Folks, that never happened 15 years ago. I would never have dared asked Monsignor Dolan, now Cardinal Dolan, hey, how was your retreat? What's the grace of your retreat? That just wouldn't happen. That wasn't the culture of the seminary. It is now. Men who are willing and able to share about the concrete experience of love in their life. If that's not happening, then there's no evangelization. There just isn't. It's just catechesis and business as usual. You're here because you don't want business as usual. I'm here because I don't want you to have business as usual. There's good news that will set the world on fire. Am I in touch with that? Am I in touch with that? So every day, moment by moment, how is Jesus offering friendship with him? How's he expressing this friendship he wants with you? Day by day, moment by moment. What is he offering? Not just in your seminary, but here. It's important to define, I think, intimacy. And I'll pause with this so we can take a break. Is that about the right time? Break time? Good. Intimacy is this. I know your thoughts, I know your feelings, I know your desires, and you know mine. That's my definition for intimacy. The quick one you probably heard is you see into me. But the whole person includes thoughts, feelings, desires, head, heart, guts. You know all of my head and heart and guts and I know yours. That's intimacy. God knows us better than we know ourselves, but have I shared my thoughts, feelings, and desires with God? Have I explicitly told Him about that? This is where we need to speak a little further into the dynamic of this relationship. 
which will be our next conference. What does that relationship look like concretely? How do I experience it? In my thoughts, feelings, and desires. This is what I want to pay attention to and where I go from here. Thanks for your time and attention. 10.20, we'll be back.